Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older men and women howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing bolder, not older. So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the old dogs wonder how much time we're willing to spend trying to be 18 again. Our chief aging officer, Kathleen O'Brien, gets a notion to write a novel. And once again, Jim gets embarrassed again by getting stumped again. The old dog's conversation is with Ray Shillins, who answers a lot of questions about how the medium of radio has changed in the last 20 years. Stay with us. So, Paul, I'll bet you're going to tell me what's on your mind. Well, as a matter of fact, I am. We have a pod nugget in this episode uh, about a software millionaire uh, who has gone to extreme lengths and a lot of money to roll back the clock. Mm -hmm. He's 47, and he wants to have all the body parts of an (laughs) 18-year-old. And don't make a joke about collecting (laughs) those body parts. Uh, at any rate, it raised the question to me, what are you willing to do? How much time, effort, and money are you willing to put into uh, extending your life? Well, okay, not tipping our hand about the pod nugget, but I would certainly not go to the extent that this gentleman is going because that consumes his life. It's all about preserving your life, so he doesn't seem to have much time for anything else. I enjoy my life. I want to make sure that uh, from day to day, I'm really experiencing the joys of life as they present themselves. Which is like watching television and eating bonbons. What? <laughs> On occasion. I, uh, I tell you, I, I am more concerned. You know, I don't want to have this uh, long, slippery slope into uh, being in a walker, you know, at uh, in my 80s. So what I do is I, I do uh, exercise. Uh, I take some supplements. Um, we both know a lot of it has to do with your genes also. What have you inherited from your parents in terms of living a long life? Certainly. But you know, what I have noticed, and maybe you have too, is that a lot of us as we approach, especially as we approach our ninth decade, uh, which we both are doing, that we are going to think think old. We're going to talk ourselves into being old and saying, oh, I know I'm going to be slowing down and I'm going to start to need help and I'm going to be shuffling around and saying things like consarn it. And pretty soon we've talked ourselves into being old. I'd like to at least explore the possibility of thinking differently about the the next decade, as we are trying to do in this podcast. Think differently about the decade that energizes me. Did you really say consarnate? Well, I, I'm fighting against it. <laughs> I, I see. Well, uh, I don't know. It's, it's inevitable. I, I think you and I are both uh, resigned and accepting of the fact we're getting older. And we, we're not going to have the, uh, the bounce in our step that we had in our teens. It's just a fact of life. Mm-hmm. But you, you can uh, kind of monitor what you are doing. Uh, so that you uh, you at least can uh, be mobile until that fatal heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's that's negative thinking, Paul. 
You got to. don't know. Think don't a, you want to die with your boots on? Think about a non-fatal heart attack for starters. Oh, yeah. oh you mean like practice? Yeah. <laughs> heart attack practice? I don't think so. You know, the rich seem to have all the advantages in life. And yeah, now, I noticed that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, from a very great distance, by the way. And now they are the only ones who can afford to postpone aging. This pod nugget is from Business Week for January 25th, 2023. It's normal to daydream about being young again. Media is saturated with ads for supplements, ointments, and appliances that can restore your youthful vigor. At best, these options may only roll back the clock a day or two. To get serious about reversing aging, you've got to have some serious bucks. Okay, Brian Johnson is a wealthy software mogul who is waging an expensive battle against aging. He has more than 30 doctors and health experts on retainer to monitor his every bodily function. He has even installed a fully equipped medical suite in his home. This year, he's on track to spend at least $2 million on his body. The goal is to reverse the aging process in every one of his organs. He wants to have the brains, heart, lungs, liver, kidneys, hair, bladder, rectum, and penis of an 18-year-old. Well, to achieve this miracle, Brian has adopted a highly regimented life. He consumes less than 2,000 calories and exercises for an hour every day. He goes to sleep at the same time each night after wearing blue blocking glasses for two hours each month. He also endures dozens of medical procedures, some of which are quite painful. Every day, he measures his weight, body mass index, and body fat. He monitors his waking body temperature, blood glucose, heart rate variations, and oxygen levels. After arising each morning at 5 a.m., he takes around two dozen supplements and medications. After following this lifestyle for a year, his doctors say it is paying off. The medical results show he has the heart of a 37-year-old, the skin of a 28-year-old, and the fitness of an 18-year-old. He's certainly on track for a good-looking corpse, but I wonder if it's worth it. His life is so regulated that there doesn't seem to be any room for life's simple pleasures. Kathleen O'Brien, as many of you already know, is our chief aging officer. Over time, she has brought us many of her personal thoughts about what it's like to grow old, and not just gracefully, but gratefully. In this installment, Kathleen reaffirms her right to grow old by starting a novel. Let's see how well that's turning out. Remember when Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney in one of their teenage rom-com movies got bored and said, let's put on a show. They did, and of course their show was fabulous because they're Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland. Well, I got bored and thought, let's write a novel. I don't know if it's fabulous. It doesn't have any singing and dancing. You haven't heard from me for a while because I've been busy trying to weave together a story that you might call a mystery slash autobiography. It sounds like a new literary genre, but I'm probably not that clever. What's it like to write a novel if you haven't tried it before? It's fun, hard, frustrating, exhilarating. Then the next day you reread what you wrote the day before and you want to throw your MacBook off the balcony. 
I've written a nonfiction book, the somewhat acclaimed Reclaim Your Right to Grow Old. It's doing fine, and I'm happy with it. Okay, there are always things you could have improved upon whenever you publish a book. As for my novel, right now I'm on Chapter 7, which sounds like I'm making progress. But every time I open up the file, I start reading the book from the beginning. Then I get stuck trying to edit what I've written weeks ago. That's why I'm still on Chapter 7. The book constantly unfolds in my brain, and I rush to write things down. Plot points, words, phrases. When my inner critical reader kicks in, though, I decide some of my brainstorms are, well, another kind of storm. I soldier on. Because I like to write, and with fiction, you don't have to fool around with footnotes. So liberating. You just rely on your imagination, which is great, until you realize it's your imagination and not Leo Tolstoy's. Anyway, I'm a great believer in doing what you want to do as you get older. You're not out to win the Pulitzer Prize. Not that you've turned it down. You're out to do what makes you happy. Besides, it's never too late to put on a show. It's time for my favorite game show, Stump the Older Old Dog. Mine too, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) My partner, Jim Conlon, being the older old dog, must answer obscure questions posed by the younger old dog, uh, which is me. Our topic today is unusual theater traditions. You're kidding. Our source is the Interesting Facts website. Oh, boy. Are you ready, old dog, or uh, do you need a nap first? <laughs> I need to go to a play or something. Go ahead. Okay, here we're starting up. Wishing somebody good luck in the theater actually sounds like you're wishing them bad luck. What's that phrase that is common practice before an opening night? I believe the phrase is, break a leg, Paul. Good, that's one for the older old dog. If you find yourself in an empty theater late at night, you will see a lone bulb glowing over the stage. The purpose is to ward off the spirits of dead actors. What is this light called? It's called the light in the forest. (laughs) No? Remember, we're warding off the spirit of dead actors. It's called the ghost light. light. It's a ghost light. I'll give you that one. Yeah. There's a particular play that's associated with mishaps in the theater. It's considered bad luck to ever say the full name of this play. Oh, yeah. It's often, it's often referred to as the Scottish play. Yes. What is the actual name of this play? Well, Paul, that's a problem because I'm not supposed to say it, am I? Well, you're in, in a theater, you're not supposed to oh, say okay. it. Oh, okay. All right. It's Hamlet. Hamlet? No, I'm sorry. Sorry. Let's back up there. <laughs> it's Macbeth. Hamlet? It's Macbeth. It's Macbeth, but I'm going to give you half a point for oh, that crap. one. As far back as the 17th century, this noise was prohibited backstage because it might be confused as the signal for a set change. What could you not do backstage? Clap your hands. No. We'll take that one away from you. No whistling, because that Uh, was a cue early in the theater that they used to change the set. That one escaped me. And finally, whether it's the end of a particular actor's run or the entire close of the run of a show, 
It's a tradition to gather the cast together and sing a certain song that wishes them well in the future until they meet again. I think it's called We'll Meet Again. Uh, well, no, that was a World War II thing. Oh, okay. Uh, it was Happy Trails to You. That one, I had no idea. That, I wasn't real familiar with it myself. Yeah. I've never been in a show that closed like that. Yeah, neither but have yes, I. It's a, it's a tradition on Broadway okay. um, uh, to get together and sing Happy Trails. Well, I'll give you the results here. We had five questions, and by my recollection, you got two and a half. Yep. Yep. I, I think you're going backwards on these little tests. Well, I am older, Paul, uh, than the last time we did this quiz. Yes, and you've gotten older since then and more besides. Well, and in fact, I've gotten older since we started this quiz today. Yeah, I imagine so. All right, Jim. Uh, this is it until the next Stump the Older Old Dog. Ray Shillins, like many others of our generation, got into radio as a teenager and followed broadcasting jobs around the country. As an on-air personality, producer, and creator of programs, Ray has seen a lot of changes in the radio industry, especially in the last 20 years. But some things remain the same. If you're a fan of radio, past or present, you'll want to hear what Ray has to say. Well, Ray, we are going to start this conversation by talking about what brought you to Houston, because you are not a native Houstonian, but somehow or other you chose to be here. What was the opportunity? It was a job <laughs> in radio, and uh, I was uh, I was down here in uh, the seventies, uh, late seventies, and uh, when I arrived in Houston, I didn't see what I expected to see, which was what, a bunch of pickup trucks and cowboys and cowboy hats and such like that. And I found Houston to be this is in seventy seven. I found Houston to be an incredibly culturally rich place to be, and was quite surprised by that. And I really found Houston to be warm and welcoming and just a fun, fun, fun place. And, uh, you know, so many years later, it's amazing how it's not what it used to be, but it still is a great city. Uh, I think, uh, Jim, you worked in uh, Detroit as well, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. And uh, after Houston, I went up to Detroit, then down to Miami for several years, and then back to Houston in 87. So Houston, yeah, I'm from Bay Village, Ohio, okay? which is a great community on Lake Erie, west of Cleveland. But Houston is my home, and Houston is probably where I'll stay the rest of my life. I really have no desire to move anyplace else. It's a great place. I know you make some references in your bio to the old days of tape and slicing tape. And uh, I think Jim, Jim and I have both been kind of wistful about that. The, the art of finding a piece of tape on the floor. Yeah. Uh, is, is gone. Nobody does that anymore. No, no. Um, although, you know, in, in a way, it still is here. I, I love non-destructible editing. I love the ability to be able to kind of decide on something and, and, and change my mind if I want to go back and do it. And I don't have to worry about losing that particular thing. But when you think about, you know, let's go back to tape. When you think about the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper, right. that was recorded on a four-track tape machine mm. holy cow four tracks mm -hmm. how the heck did they do that of course they mixed a lot of that stuff back then in mono 
so you could have the luxury of bouncing tracks and right. such like that. Um, I like technology. I love digital editing, but uh, but there's something that's missing. Uh, you probably have a unique perspective on how radio has changed since 77, and probably not for the better. you have any thoughts on that? I think there's an upside and a downside uh, to radio. I think the strong still exist. Those people happen to be mostly in morning drive um, because radio believes, I guess, that that's where you need to be strong and doesn't matter anywhere else. Uh, we used to have talent around the clock, including midnight to six, because it was important. It's not as important as it was anymore. Radio, you know, there, there, there was a time that one of the stations said live and local. It's like, yeah, no, no, you're not. People like Don Imus, um, Howard Stern, to a certain extent. I'm not a, a Howard Stern fan of what he, uh, the way he does things, because I think some of that humor is unnecessary to be successful and great. But you look at Howard Stern and you look at Imus, the way he did this stuff. That was old time radio. Um, sure, there are some greats out there, and there are some very good people on the air, um, but it's not populated like it was before. And you know what? Radio station ownership is not the same as well. You had groups of people, small businesses, so to speak, who were together, who were working as a team uh, to be great. And then the consolidation came along, and all of a sudden, now you're a group of teams wanting to be great. So radio has changed a little bit, but there are still people in this industry and still morning shows and radio personalities in this industry who do carry the heritage of what radio was, and that's a good thing. Well, this right. is um, a good lead into the other side of the coin, and that is who is listening. Uh, and I know you are still doing radio advertising, but I want to know who's listening. Uh, lots of people are listening. Radio is not any different uh, from a listener perspective than, than it has been in the past. People still need that connection. You know, you could listen to Spotify, you can listen to Pandora, you can do whatever you want. Uh, you can listen to podcasts as well and such like that. But people like real-time connection. The, the listening may have changed. Uh, you know, we're, we're a mobile community and we spend a lot of time in our cars. A lot of radio listening is done in cars still today. Well, do you think that talent has gravitated towards podcasts quite a bit? Quite possibly, but most most radio personalities, most radio stations do now have people who are doing podcasts in addition to their radio programs because, again, it's another channel. And I really, I really think that a podcast is no different. I always uh, look back at, at podcasting as being connected to the uh, the, the NPR philosophy, mm -hmm. a little bit deeper thinking, thoughtful, well done programming that people can listen to for a deeper meaning of whatever the subject matter is. Well, that certainly so I, doesn't apply to our podcast, of course. No, uh, I didn't we're, see we're that. Shallow. We pride ourselves on being shallow. shallow. We're shallow. We're shallow. And, and I saw a list, and it was a top 100, and I, I didn't see anything there. So yeah, that's see, The top 100 deep shows. Nope, we're not on. No, you know, hey, well, I'm going to tell you something about we, your podcast. What well, we're still in the thought of podcast, I think the difference is, uh, radio wasn't interactive. Podcasts are in the sense that you select when you want to listen to them. Yep. 
and where you want to listen to them. That's true. It's inspired listening, yeah. And you want to listen to, you want to listen to something that's well produced. And you see, that's the essence of what you guys are doing with this podcast. It's well produced. It's not a couple of guys sitting around the kitchen table talking about stuff and you hear the fire trucks go by and <laughs> all that kind of garbage. I mean, all of the elements uh, of your show come from your background in broadcast creative and advertising. It has that same flavor. Can I, can I mention uh, Brad Forsyth? And, and you guys know Brad. Sure. Uh, Forsyth and Butler, you worked with him uh, on a lot of different campaigns. You know, Brad and I started the advertising show on the radio. We did the radio thing, and then we did the Sirius XM thing, and then we did the syndication thing. And then we found that all of that was not as important as being able to connect with a global audience. And I do mean a global audience of, of people who are interested in learning more about advertising and the advertising industry. And Brad tells me that we we're getting like 50 thousand listens a month i don't think i don't think we have to worry about uh, anything changing there but i think the fact that we are given the luxury of being able to choose and listen to and participate in these podcasts that's a that's a pretty doggone good deal you moved here in 77 same year i did mm -hmm. as a radio talent mm -hmm. how would you describe yourself now well wow, that's a great question uh, I guess I'm still a radio talent because whatever I do um, has the same attributes. Uh, you create great conversations and you do it now with whether it be a podcast or with commercials or whatever. Uh, the thing that I can say about what I've done and what I've done all my life is I've never really worked. And I, I guarantee you guys can say the same doggone thing. You've never really had a real job because every day when you come to work, whether whether you know it be at your place, Paul, or or Jim's place, that's fun, and what we do is fun. How did Radio Lounge Marketing get started? What what was that all about? Radio Lounge was, I guess, uh, an extension of the passion that I have for crafting things and making things that make people happy. And and to, I'm a musician. Uh, I I love creating things you uh, you know jim i know you're a musician paul do you do you play any instruments or at one time i played oh. the trumpet okay well, you understand you understand that like broadcast programming great creative has a rhythm as well and if you understand that rhythm you can make great stuff whether it's the cadence of the copy that you've written or how you deliver it or act it or whatever it's the same thing so i guess i fell into something that i always supposed to was supposed to be doing i guess that's what happened paul how do we look at the future of our lives however long they still might be to yeah. generate something that has the kind of passion and enjoyment that you've been talking about well i think there's opportunity there for all of us and there's plenty of room in this space and if you've got a voice and you know how to use it uh, there is room 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 for you to be able to be a part of this industry absolutely there's no wall you know like the pilots say what do they have to re they have to retire at 65 now or something mm -hmm. uh there's no retirement age for voice acting none whatsoever do you have any challenges no no i don't have any challenges in life right now i feel no different today 
then the very first day that we started doing this or the very first day I started doing what I do, it's the same routine. Get up, you shower, you shave, you get dressed, and you go have fun. Problem for folks at our age um, is they retire from something they've been doing for 40 years mm. and don't know what to do with themselves. No. Uh, they lack the passion that you talk about, getting up each day, looking forward to it, because you never know what's going to happen. Right. You got any advice for folks that uh, have kind of lost their zest for life? Yeah. Try something you never did before. Go find something that you've never discovered before. Uh, find purpose. Purpose does not exist in your favorite chair in front of the TV. Purpose is understanding that when the sun comes up every day, that this is another opportunity to be great, to do something new, to discover something. Walk, move, and stay curious. Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.